The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is BizBuzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in industry and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, and welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is Biz Buzz with Game Changers. And today's buzz, manufacturing. Let's get started. Manufacturing processes today are rapidly accelerating. As we move, well, we probably already have moved out of the era of shop floor management by clipboard. Do you remember those days? To an exciting mobile power era of efficiency and real-time analytics. It's happening right now in the they need to know. However, this doesn't mean that all of the challenges have been wiped off the slate for manufacturers. They still face a lot of issues. Overwhelming amounts of big data, that could be new for many of them. Poor production quality, OMG, you've heard about that. Embarrassing cost overruns, one of our guests has a very interesting example that I believe was featured on 60 Minutes last week. They have newly emerging global competitors. They have consumer demands for me, now I want it and I want it customized. Oh, my goodness. They have an aging workforce with the millennials coming in. What do you do about getting these groups to talk to each other and play well in the work sandbox? And they have social media cries for environmental responsibility and shareholder cries for increased value, as well as, oh, my goodness, internally, look inside their own house. They have agility deterring siloed internal functions. That means departments just aren't talking to each other. It's a lot to fix. There's not much time. So we're bringing you a panel of experts today who are going to help manufacturers figure it out. And those of us on the outside of manufacturing, we might understand it a little bit better. Will we be patient? I'm not so sure. We'll find out. First up on my panel today is Adele Khan. He's a principal at the SAP Center for Excellence at Fujitsu America. And he sent me a quote from Edward Deming, very interesting quote, In God We Trust, All Others Must Bring Data. Adele Khan, welcome to BizBuzz. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. So talk to me. I love the Edward Deming quote. Let's uh, find out why it's one of your favorites, and then let's relate it back to our topic of manufacturing, speed of manufacturing. Go ahead. Yeah, certainly. Yes, it's a very popular quote. I mean, Edward Deming is a professor, an academic, obviously known as the father of modern quality management system, if you will. Spent a lot of time uh, in Japan, post-World War II Japan, if you will, and, and essentially and ironically taught Japanese uh, a thing or two about quality. So his philosophy, Bonnie, was all about data analysis, right? I mean, it's, I mean we have reached a, a you know, point in time in our life where data is all over the place. You've got sensors, you've got automation, you've got robots, you've got PLCs, mm-hmm. and we're recollecting enormous amount of data. But no one's actually using, I shouldn't say no one, but people are not using data to analyze what's actually in the data, right? The context, context of the data. What, is, what does it mean? How can they actually use the data? 
So if you go back to Deming's time, about four decades ago, he actually figured it out mm-hmm. then that you have to do data analysis to understand your, 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 your manufacturing environment better to make your environment a lot more agile and a lot more efficient. So it's all about data, not only just data gathering, if you will, correct? I and mean, a lot of the customers that we go across are collecting enormous amount of data through various software systems and software like data historians. So data is there. It's the putting, putting meaning to the data, right? To contextualize the data to understand, uh, to understand better the, uh, uh, to better understand the better the manufacturing environment, how to make the data more efficient. So that's where the quote is more, in my opinion, was applicable to the topic today. Very applicable. And Adele, do you think that data with what Edward Deming, obviously he had a great future vision because if you said four decades ago, wow, that is a wow, uh, even in, in terms of how fast our time is moving. Question for you quickly is, is understanding data, analyzing it, grasping it, doing something with it that's, that's productive. Will that solve a lot of the problems I mentioned in my opening? For manufacturers? It it should, because basically where you're analyzing data to understand and basically serve your customers better to make your, you know, quality uh, a lot more better because you are, you are proactive, making proactive decisions based on the data that's out there, correct? So it's, mm-hmm. it's about basically understanding your data, not just data, understanding what the data means and how can I use that data to make my software a lot more efficient, to make my, I mean, make my environment a lot more uh, user-friendly and make our customers product a lot more compliant and better right it's all about proactiveness it's all about you know before things happen in the software which is a lot of things could go wrong i want to know before it happens so i can take corrective actions prior to the whole thing happens absolutely so you going back to your question absolutely Thank you very much. Good start to our topic. Let's turn to your co-panelist, Matthew Littlefield. He's co-founder, president, and principal analyst for LNS Research. He sent me a quote from Coach John Wooden, and Matthew was surprised when I mentioned that I knew John Wooden was a coach. Ah, Okay, a little credit here for the non-sports host. Okay, the quote is very interesting. Perfection is impossible. Thank God you told me that, Matthew. However, striving for perfection is not. Do the best you can under the conditions that exist. That is what counts. Welcome, Matthew Littlefield. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Is Coach John Wooden one of your heroes and why this quote related to manufacturing? You know, John Wooden was one of the most successful uh, coaches, I think, in any sport um, in modern history. So that right there, I think, lends a lot of credibility to his viewpoints. And I think there's a a couple of different points that he makes in this quote, which are particularly relevant to uh, manufacturers, both leaders in manufacturing as well as the organizations themselves. Uh, And the first is just that, like you noticed, that that poignant first sentence where perfection Mm -hmm. is impossible. I think lots of people and organizations get trapped by perfectionism, especially manufacturing. The the demand for um, perfect timing, perfect quality um, is there every day. Uh, But really, it's about continuous improvement, not always achieving perfection. Uh, And once you realize that and embrace that continuous improvement model, uh, where you're just trying to get better, not be perfect, um, I think that can go a long way to freeing a company to be more reactive to the customer, uh, proactive, uh, and really be more flexible and agile. So shedding yourself of the the weight of perfection, I think, is a Mm -hmm. big advantage for a lot of companies. And Matthew, some of us grew up with the mantra or the adage, good, better, best, never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. You think Wooden might have been inspired by that when he was growing up, maybe? I, I think he might have. I think he might have. That That is a nice uh, little 
saying around that. And, and I think the second thing that's really insightful about the quote is that you have to do your best under current conditions. And a lot mm-hmm. of companies don't actually have a good sense of what the current conditions are. And if you don't know where you're at today and what the conditions of your production process are or the market are today, it's really hard to, to embrace and actually improve. A lot of companies know how, we, how they were doing a week ago or a month ago, but do they actually know the conditions now? And, and a lot of companies don't, which again, uh, I think wouldn't captures really nicely in this quote. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And let's round out the panel by bringing on Frank Platt. He is a senior director for SAP Line of Business Manufacturing <laughs> Solutions. Aha, that's why he's on the show. And Frank sent me a quote from Arthur C. Clarke. I'll read it now. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's a first for the show. Frank Platt, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie, and thanks for having me. Thank you. So talk to me. Who is Arthur C. Clarke? That's a new one for me. And great quote. Let's apply it to our topic, speed of manufacturing. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, I'm surprised the quote hasn't shown up before on the show. But Arthur C. Clarke is a a science fiction writer from uh, Great Britain and a futurist. Uh, And obviously, one of his big uh, promotions was 2001, A Space Odyssey. You know, today we look around, there's magic everywhere. Uh, technology is moving so fast, and the adaptation of technology cycle-wise is getting quicker and quicker, too. If you look back at that movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey, you'd say, hey, pretty hokey. You know, the technology, the, you know, the, the camera action, everything else really kind of looked very campy. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. things have really changed in the last... Uh, 20, 30 years, and uh, this ad- adoption of technology by consumers as well as businesses is really changing the landscape. Okay, tell me something. Um, if he were to look ahead to the future and where it is now today, would he still feel this way? No doubt about it. Um, you know, things that uh, that we see that we're beginning to take for granted they mm-hmm. are magic, and um, the, as you adapt some of these new technologies to business problems, uh, they, they, they create a, a special magic in their own. Uh, so uh, the, the continuing improvement and new things that are coming out, uh, it won't end. Uh, innovation is incredible. And, and, Frank, do you think that manufacturers today are lured by the quote-unquote promise of magic and new technology innovations? Is that, is there, are there stars in their eyes saying, wow, we can't wait for the next new something to come down the, the path because it's going to solve all of our problems? Is that a little delusional or is that hopeful or realistic? What's, just quickly, what's your point of view on that? I think it may be a little delusional, but the reality <laughs> is, is there's basic blocking and tackling that manufacturers can take on to make their businesses run a whole lot better. Um, the advanced technologies, you know, they're going to come into play as time goes on, but that basic blocking and tackling uh, really still uh, has opportunity for, for manufacturers to do much better. Good. Speed Thank you very much. That's, that's really yep. where the, the focus is. That's what we're looking at today. Our topic, by the way, I didn't finish the topic. I want to give the full title here. It's Speed of manufacture, Manufacturing Zooming from Idea to Performance, and zooming is the point of this. How fast can they zoom? I have a very tough question for my panelists. You've all done great on the quotes. Delighted to meet all of you. But my question is, what's in your cup today? You know, this is a one of our series under the banner of Coffee Break with Game Changers, our SAP-presented flagship show that's been going on for over two years now. And I 
I'd like to know from first Adele Kahn, then Matthew Littlefield and Frank Platt, what's in your cup today or what do you wish you were drinking right now on the show? So Adele Kahn, why don't you take us through, let's have a vision of uh, what are you drinking? Okay. That's a good question. So, uh, as usual, Bonnie, I just uh, got myself a beautiful cup of coffee from Starbucks, and uh, and I very fondly call it four bucks because that's the cheapest coffee you can buy. <laughs> from, very good. From there, four. but uh, but uh, interestingly enough, I've got a little story to tell. I'm not sure if we have time for that or not. I'll make time. Involved, Go ahead. It involved, sure. It involves coffee. So, about four years ago, my wife and I was my and I think it was our tenth anniversary. We were actually uh, thought we'll just go to Paris, it's romantic. And uh, before before our trip, I started to go and, and learn some French here and there, and from internet sites, not really Rosetta Net, kind of a French. And I mm-hmm. sort of graduated myself to say, fine, maybe I'm able now to speak here and there from some from some French sentences. So okay. on the second day, we go to this uh, kind of coffee shop. It's, it's a pretty decent coffee shop, and uh, and for how I don't know how this happened. I kind of threw in the word moutard in there, and in French, moutard means mustard. Mm-hmm. And so the French waiter, obviously, maybe he thought I was going to teach a lesson to a foreigner. So he actually goes back in there, brings me a cup of coffee with <laughs> mustard. No. <laughs> no. no. Here I am in Paris, you know, trying to figure, you know, trying to pretend like I'm really enjoying my first cup, Cafe Motard, if, if you will. <laughs> and I did not want to get a cup of coffee. It would cost me about $10. And my wife is obviously dying laughing at me. And I can tell you that, Bonnie, that was the last time I actually tried French. <laughs> in my oh, life. my goodness. Quel dommage. Do you know what that means, Adele? Quel dommage means what a pity, what a shame. <laughs> I was a, I studied French for years and, and uh, don't do much anymore, but that I remember. Quel dommage. So sad. Absolutely. Uh, très triste. So sad. Thank you, Adele, for sharing the story. Love it. Café Moustard. I love it. Matthew Littlefield, I won't ask you to top that, but what is? what are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking right now? I know that's a tough one. I, you know, there is no mustard in my cup, so I'll just start with that. But um, so I actually I have an interesting way of drinking coffee. Um, I drink almost half cream, half coffee. Most people look at me pretty strangely when I when I pour myself a cup of coffee and start with the cream that goes about halfway up uh, up the cup. And and I do that, and I bring it up for for a reason. Not that I'm a, a an advocate or or a zealot around health and fitness, but there's certainly a trend going on in, in the world today, moving away from um, kind of grains and sugars, and, and maybe bringing some some fat back into folks' diets. And I think it's really towards a, a back to basics movement that that we see in the space today. But at the same time, which I think is an interesting juxtaposition to that kind of back mm-hmm. to basics movement, um, is I'm wearing a Fitbit. Uh, which is kind of monitoring your your steps and your activity and your calories and all these other pieces uh, connected to the internet. Um, a, really, a, a, a first step into the internet of things where people are connected uh, through wearable devices uh, to apps, right? So it's an interesting juxtaposition, I think, where both ways you're trying to be healthy, right? One way you're trying to drink coffee in a healthier way without sugar, uh, and that's a back to basic move. Whereas with the Fitbit, you are also trying to be healthy and track your movements, but you're using new technology. Um, you and I are. think that relate. Yeah, I know, right? And I think it just came <laughs> to mind because it relates to what I think is happening in manufacturing. Yes. When, many ways, we're trying to do the same things we've always done, um, trying to do continuous improvement, trying to be more efficient. Uh, but we have a whole set of new technologies, uh, Internet-enabled, uh, connected to the physical world through the virtual um, that allows us to do things we were never able to do before. So, and there's uh, just- some of... 
some of Arthur Clarke's magic. You just described it very, very well. Thank yeah, you. I want to know. I want to know if the Fitbit spikes when you add the cream to your coffee, but you don't have to admit that on the radio. It's okay, Matthew. Thank you very <laughs> only, much. Only if I had the Google glasses on that watched me do it. We so. won't tell your cardiologist. Frank Platt, <laughs> SAP. Talk to me. What's in your cup? I will not ask you to top those two. Just whatever. Go ahead, Frank. Well, why don't we talk about coffee again? I'm having a coffee as well, but my coffee was brewed in a Keurig, uh, the Green Mountain ah. Keurig, single, you know, single um, instance uh, uh, presentation of a coffee. You know, it's interesting, back in the early 2000s, I spent a lot of time with Folgers, and the K-Cup was at its infancy, and I said, who possibly is going to buy a single service of coffee? Who would need that? Nobody needs yes. that. That's well, right. what's happened? I mean, it is really proliferated, and they, it's very high margin for the manufacturers, for sure. But what's really interesting is that the patents just expired for Green Mountain and uh, on the K-Cup, so they're losing a, a revenue stream. Now they're creating additional innovation. They're putting intelligence in the cup. The recipe or how the coffee is prepared is, is stored digitally on the cup, and the cup communicates machine to machine, M to M, it communicates with the coffee maker. So now they're protecting uh, their, their uh, continued, you know, replenishment of, of coffee cups, but they're also adding intelligence to the brew. So whether it's an espresso or a standard cup of coffee or a tea, uh, the machine will know that and it will automatically adjust. So technology is even moving into your cup of coffee. I love it. Smart coffee, smart tea. I like that. We all need to be a little bit smarter. Thank you, Frank. This was a great coffee cup segment. I really appreciate it. Guess what? I'm going to give you three a break for not more than a minute and a half. So if you want to refresh that cup, you're going to have to do it quickly. I'm speaking today with Adele Khan at Fujitsu America, Matthew Littlefield at LNS Research, and Frank Platt at SAP. I am still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers presented by SAP. This is show number 12 in case you're keeping count in our 13-week mini-series, so we're nearing the end, but we may just find a renewal later in the year. Our topic today, speed of manufacturing, zooming from idea to performance. We're talking about innovation and magic. If that doesn't lure you back, I don't know what else will. We're going to take a break now. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, however you're listening. See you on the other side. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network business models have a short shelf life today's reality given shifting technologies real-time information and collaboration across time zones competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud the bottom line Technology cycles will continue to shorten, making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable. You need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy. BizBuzz with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Here we are. We're talking today about speed of manufacturing, zooming from idea to performance. Who wouldn't want that, especially those of you in the manufacturing field? I'm talking with Adele Khan at Fujitsu America, Matthew Littlefield at LNS Research, and Frank Platt at SAP. We're going to get the roundtable party started right now. Going to go about a half hour without a break. I told my guests to put their seatbelts on because we mean business here. So let's just start kicking out ideas and seeing where we go with them. Adele Khan at Fujitsu America. Let's start with you. We're going to open up with a point you sent me before the show in your notes, and I know that it will appeal to our other guests as well. You say storing enormous amounts of data is not sufficient. Manufacturers need to leverage them to the fullest to gain insight and, the magic word, make proactive decisions. Adele Khan, why don't you start us off, please? Excellent, uh, Bonnie. That, that goes back to uh, my, my quote there from Edward Deming, right? Uh, you know, it's about not about storing data. It's about in analyzing your data to the fullest, correct? You need to understand the context of the data. You need to put meaning to your data so you can make proactive decisions. And you were absolutely correct. Proactive is, is the magic word here. Uh, mm-hmm. What we typically see across our customer base is like, yes, they're storing data. As I mentioned before, Bonnie, they're storing data in many, many software applications that are at the software level, like data historians typically or SCADA system typically stores enormous, enormous amount of data, correct? Everyone has it. They're housing data. What we don't see, essentially, is the, is the meaningful data, right? They need to capture the data to make sure they can make proactive decisions, uh, uh, to analyze the data, to provide intelligence, if you will, okay? Uh, for instance, let's talk about asset maintenance, correct? Um, assets could go down, I mean, you know, for, for whatever reason. So the point is these types of systems or applications that are actually constantly monitoring the asset health, or the asset metrics or asset uh, temperatures or pressures or vibrations, correct? If you, are, if you could potentially tell in advance that, hey, maybe the temperature in this particular machine is, is, is kind of acting a little weird, maybe it's actually going beyond a tolerance level, right? Maybe we got to send a maintenance guy to take a look at it before it goes down and actually impacts your production, correct? So that's mm-hmm. the kind of, of, of data that we're looking at. That's the kind of information we're looking at. So housing data is great, but you've got to find a way to, to use technology as an enabler to understand the data, put a context to the data, and actually share the data across the organizations, right? It's, it has to be shared across manufacturing, the mm-hmm. operations people, which is the plan for people. You've got to share the data with the maintenance guys who can actually do the maintenance so he knows in advance what's happening, and, and, and uh, you could share the data with the quality engineers, um, and, 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 again, we have reached a point in our life we're talking about big data, right? Big data is huge. It's, 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 a, it's a buzzword, big data analytics. Um, and, one of the, you know, if you're looking at the uh, uh, Dreamliner 787, uh, the airline that came from Boeing, and as a matter of fact, the Virgin Atlantic has actually got a fleet of 787, and these planes, Bonnie, are coming out with sensors all over the place. You've got sensors mm. in the floppers. You've got sensors in the uh, landing gear. You've got sensors uh, in the engines. And, and basically what I understand is they're in each flight, at an average, of course, will generate 500 gigabytes of data for each flight. So you wow. talk about in a round trip, you're talking one terabyte of data that now you have to house and you have to find out what that means to, your, to yourself, correct? Of course. 
And the way the uh, Virgin Atlantic is using the database is basically saying, fine, while the plane is actually on flight, those information will be uh, sent and the ground people so they will be able to figure out what is going on right now. And by the time the plane lands, maybe this particular part needs to be uh, needs to be serviced, correct? Or this particular, or we can do a fuel uh, efficiency analysis. So all that data has to be has to be intelligently used by 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 the technology. Um, Thank one you. One of the most fascinating. Yeah, stories, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing, one of the fascinating stories that I've heard that that actually usage of the big data came from the Progressive Insurance Auto Insurance Company. They have run a, a program called Snapshot. Basically, they're actually installing uh, smaller devices in in, in, in the car's uh, d- uh, diagnostic uh, port. And essentially, what it's telling them is the driving behavior. Are you slamming brakes hard? What time of the day you're driving? How many miles mm-hmm. are you driving? And basically, yes. they're taking this data and intelligently figuring out the cost savings and passing it on to the consumers. So that's the whole point about it. it's not about you know talking big about big data and analytics. It's about how are you going to use the, the analytics and in yours and your customers' advantage. Adele, thank you for the great case studies. Our listeners love that because you know why. They can go back to someone and say, you'll never guess what I heard on the radio today. That's amazing. Or really, I can't believe it. So there's a little magic of what we give to our listeners. Thank you. Matthew Matthew Littlefield at LNS Research, I know you've done some studies about how manufacturers think and feel about the applicability of big data, for example, in their operations. So why don't you share with us some research? And Frank Platt, you can jump in at any time from SAP. Go ahead. Matthew, what what do you see? Sure, I, you know, uh, just uh, piggybacking on some of the things Adele mm-hmm. was talking about there uh, around big data analytics. We we track through some of our surveys the different buzzwords in the space today, and we look at things like how and we we survey manufacturing executives and ask them questions like how do you see uh, cloud technology impacting your manufacturing operations, or how do you see mobility impacting your manufacturing operations, or how do you see big data analytics impacting your manufacturing operations? And we'll give, you know, seven or eight different choices of ways that we think that that technology might impact impact the business, a lot of what aligns to what Adele just said there. But, of course, we always have that choice. You know, we really don't see an impact, no impact from this technology. We're not going to be adopting it in the next several years. Technologies like cloud and mobility, those buzzwords, those technologies have been actually around longer than, than big data analytics. And uh, we still see, you know, 20 to 30 percent of companies saying, you know, that's really not going to impact our manufacturing processes, really those laggard companies. When it comes to big data, uh, we see companies, only about 5 percent of companies in our most recent survey of 300 companies said big, data's, uh, big data wouldn't impact uh, manufacturing. Uh, so mm. I think the, the, the trend around big data and the – as, as Frank said, the, the magic that can be accomplished with it, it's really captured the, the hearts and minds of manufacturing executives. They see a number of different applications for this technology, although there are some challenges which we can get into. But I, I just think that's an interesting data point that, that so many companies today are saying, yeah, this is going to impact our manufacturing, and we really need to get ahead of the curve to, to address that. Um, so I'd be very interested if, if others on the panel kind of see that movement toward, towards big data and if they're seeing that, that excitement in the industry as well. Yeah, let's yeah, bring Frank, you know, from, Frank from Platt. The, from, yeah, from my perspective, a, a couple things I'd, I certainly resonate one. One is, you know, predictive analytics. So how will things run given certain conditions is an influencer for people's investment in, in big data. And that's kind of like a nice to have. The mm-hmm. gotta have is compliance. The compliance requirements that manufacturers have are growing tremendously. And as companies want to serve the global marketplace, they've got to pay attention to government regulations all around the world. And they're different in different places. So 
whether it's food safety and FDA and food recalls or auto- automotive with the TREAD Act, where you have to have an as-built configuration and serialization, you see the same kind of thing in aerospace, the same kind of thing in med device. Med device has a thing called, you know, electronic device history record or EDHR. So companies have to be responsible for their products and their quality over many, many years. This creates an incredible challenge relative to data, but it also creates challenges in capturing the data. In the beginning, Bonnie, you talked a little bit about paper-based manufacturing, people Mm -hmm. with clipboards. You'd be surprised. There's still an awful lot of clipboard activity on the shop floor and what we call paper travelers. Those are the these uh, plastic envelopes that get stuffed with quality information. Still more of that than you'd think, but the requirements to feed these quality systems are really growing, and this is an area that all manufacturers have to pay attention to. Thank you very much. Anybody else want to comment on that before I take this in a slightly different direction? Um, well, Matthew yeah, or is, Adele? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, this is Adele. Sure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to definitely go with Frank here. I mean, that, yeah. Yeah, we are talking about some high, you know, uh, pretty fast-paced technological innovation, if you will, to bake data analytics. But, you know, I'm in a customer location right now. Obviously, I'm not, not going to name the customer, but they are FDA, in an FDA-compliant environment and, 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 and talk about paperwork. I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, stacks of stacks of paperwork in, in the year 2014, uh, it's almost unimaginable, right? Yes, we're talking about future. Yes, we're talking about speed of manufacturing agility. But I think our customers ought to go back to the basics, right? Get your, get your data flow from system to system. Make this data flow seamless. Give them the visibility of events that are taking place in the shop floor, and then take the next step to big data analytics. So I'm going to add that to that conversation. Thank you. Matthew, you want to chime in on this before I, I go to one of your other notes you sent me, or shall, shall I proceed, Matthew? Uh, sure, sure, just one more comment on the, on the big yeah. data analytics and, and capturing the hearts and mind. And, yeah, compliance is super important, but Adele made a, a good point, and I think the real value people see going forward that's going to be transformative and really hit speed is the proactive nature. Um, and, and one of the, the trends I've seen in the mainstream media is uh, Nate, some of Nate Silver's work on um, telling the difference between the signal and the noise. And I think a lot of manufacturer companies, that's where they're at in their, in their journey towards predictive analytics, trying to, to identify what is a false positive. How do I get some mm-hmm. more detailed, narrow scopes on my algorithm? So, hey, maybe I'm just going to really figure out rotating equipment. I have some experts on rotating equipment. And with that expertise, I can really understand, okay, this is a false positive. This is a real trigger. Here is when I have to take action. So I I think that uh, more and more companies are understanding the the real statistics behind some of these big data trends. Uh, And I think uh, more and more that will be built into software. Some of those tools that can help us make the right decisions and not get led down the wrong path by that big data. Uh, but mm-hmm. those are just some of the trends uh, that are interesting to me around around big data. Thank you, Matthew. I want to go in the direction of the keyword quality, and I'm going to read one of the notes you sent me, and you have a great case study here. As I mentioned, I think I saw something about it on 60 Minutes about a week ago. Quality continues to be a major issue for companies, and, of course, it impacts speed to market in an enormous way. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the F-35, the overruns and the problems, and if we had, if, if companies, especially Airline manufacturers, airplane manufacturers, we're reading the data correctly. How could they possibly be facing such incredible quality issues, such deterrence to production? Matthew, why don't you kick this off, and then we'll ask the other panelists, too. 
Sure. So I don't know how many folks caught it. It was uh, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago now. Uh, the F-35 was highlighted on, on 60 Minutes. It's uh, about... Six years and over 160 mm-hmm. billion dollars over over time and over budget. So it's um, it's a challenging program both for the manufacturer as well as the the Pentagon. Um, and it is really going to be a transformative um, product yes. and uh, defense tool when it gets when it gets launched. And, but, and the, the root cause challenges mm-hmm. actually were very different than the corrective actions, which I thought was interesting. So some of the reasons uh, the Pentagon and the manufacturer think they got so far, far behind was an over-reliance on simulation um, kind of early on in the process and not doing enough real prototyping, real-world experience, kind of the flying-before-you-buy challenges. And the other issue that, that really challenged the program was um, the complex nature of the product and also the amount of uh, code that was within that, um, within the F-35. So we're talking... Um, Many, many lines of codes. I think somewhere like uh, 24 million lines of code per um, per plane. So, so just lots of room for error there um, and a learning curve there, which has been very expensive. So and those Matthew, were some of the I... traditional challenges that companies had, but the solutions were, were very different. They, the solutions weren't going mm-hmm. after stimulation. They weren't going after the complexity. What they looked at was the manufacturing process. And what they put in place was um, visibility, so the Pentagon having visibility into the manufacturer's actual process and establishing stage gates within the manufacturing process and saying you have to hit time and quality metrics at each stage or else you have to pay a profit penalty. Um, So it was really the quality manufacturing process and visibility into that that they're looking at to drive the program back um, onto schedule and, and being a, a valuable asset for the for the country. So Matthew, really if I were trend. if I remember, they had the wrong specs on the tires. The tires wouldn't <laughs> take the load of stopping at great forces with a plane coming to a stop at, at this nature, and the tires were the wrong ones that would fail after a certain number of landings. And somebody put a valve in backwards. That mistake cost them. I don't remember if it's seven weeks or seven months. And we're talking about somewhere I think human error, but I'm not going to go there. That's not our topic. Today, I'd like to ask Adele Khan and or Frank Platt to comment on the quality issue before we turn to something else. Uh, we're going to turn to agility next, so maybe that's part of it. Frank or Adele, any comments on yes, the F-35 sure. story? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Just a couple quick ones. I mean, first of yeah. all, one of the big challenges in aerospace and defense is the change from a company that manufactured most of the stuff in-house to a network of suppliers and managing that network of all kinds of different manufacturers to come into the final device or the final plane and monitor all those quality requirements uh, is a big challenge. And this is, this is uh, you know, consistent with um, a lot of manufacturing companies out there. And when we think about quality, it's, uh, it's, it's part of the design process as well. So designing quality into a product being able to quickly move from innovation to manufacturing and also being able to do part substitutions or supplier substitutions as you manufacture. These are some big challenges quality-wise that companies need to face. And this idea to performance strategy where you have things connected and it's digital, this is where that really shines. Okay. Adele, any thoughts on this one before I move on? Yeah, absolutely, Bonnie. I think I absolutely agree with uh, both Matthew and, and Frank, especially the two points that Frank brought out. Is, is the number of suppliers these, these aerospace and defense companies are using nowadays, Bonnie, is absolutely incredible. It's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at 787 Dreamliner guys, they're probably used by anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 suppliers. And think about mm. the level of communication that has to go across these people 
starting from the design, starting from the quality perspective. So that is incredibly challenging task that I believe that when they actually came out with this whole supplier, you know, farming out manufacturing concept, they never actually thought about it. But I think it, they're getting there. Secondly, about the qualities is always number one is built quality into the process. You know, the whole uh, concept from uh, Professor Deming's standpoint is, well, you know what, guys, start to, you know, don't think about inspectors will inspect your product. Don't wait for the inspector. B- bring the quality into the process, capture the process, and only then you will be able to control the quality of the product. So those are the two comments I'm going to make. Thank you very much. And, you know, I said I want to talk about agility next, but I, I have something in Matthew's notes I think would be very interesting to our listeners. You say that many companies believe new product introduction is the key to speed, but often they overlook issues with existing products. I think this is a very important point, a mistake that you say is commonly made. Matthew from LNS Research, why don't you start this, and then let's hear what Frank and Adele have to say. Sure. I think when, when companies think about innovation and, and managing engineering, there's a lot of time, energy, and effort spent on product portfolio management and how to manage the ideation process and how that drives new products. And all that is really important today's day and age. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be focused on. But what I am saying is a lot of these products have very long lives. And a lot of them be, are iterated over time. So they're not entirely new products. It's just variations or changes in existing products. And now that we have this new explosion of data, sensor data, um, social media, customer feedback data that we can continue to gather over time, and if we have the right data models and processes in place, can connect that back to manufacturing or engineering, we really can create a closed quality environment that, that spans multiple years and really looks at continuous improvement on a longer time scale, which is, I think is important when you look at some of those reliability issues um, in products that in the failure modes in the field, it can be many years before those actually happen. Um, and if you can get that right, if you can figure that out, it can impact our warranty reserve rates. It can impact um, the way we design the product. So it just um, really can change the way that we think about um, connecting that data from the field and from the customer back into manufacturing and engineering. So I think there's a lot of a lot of new areas where we can not just look at the very new products, but also existing products over time. Mm-hmm. Good points. Adele or Frank, both want to comment? Well, certainly one of the areas, and, and Matthew was starting to hit on it, was getting feedback in real time from your equipment and your um, deliverables that you put out in the world and in the automotive space, you know, getting uh, feedback through the Internet on how uh, cars are operating. This is an area where there's a lot of investment going on right now called the Internet of Things. And uh, we're going to see mm-hmm. a, a, a great focus on that in the coming years. And the manufacturers are going to really be able to pinpoint and avoid product problems by getting real-time feedback from what's going on in the world. They also need to manage continuous improvement. So the suppliers to the automotive guys, they've got a, a campaign. They're going to run a certain product line and deliver maybe shocks to an automotive supplier. Well, they need over the course of that campaign to drive down costs. And by the way, part of the contract is to, is to share some of those savings back with the OEM, the original car manufacturer. So that challenge is one that requires real discipline and a focus on quality continually with those existing products, as Matthew indicated. Okay. Adele, any comments on that? No, I think I agree with both both of the people. The quality is absolutely um, number one. 
of think for the oil manufacturers always has mm-hmm. been and always will be, correct? So basically continuous improvement process is what we're, I'm going to suggest, and we're all suggesting and recommending to the customers that you need to improve, uh, improve your quality processes. There's no question about it. Quality is number one. Um, you know, being compliant is also, uh, also very, very critical, especially in, in these day and age, and if, especially if you are in the USDA environment, if you are in the FDA environment, the quality has to be very compliant. You need to hand over the product to uh, customers, which is a compliant product, number one, and therefore quality must be built into the product, no question mm-hmm. about it. Okay, I want to turn this around into one more topic before we go to break. You've all earned a break. I know it's coming in a couple minutes, but I'd like to talk about the workforce issue. I mentioned it as one of the challenges that continues to face manufacturers everywhere. And I mentioned the aging workforce, the dichotomy of the aging workforce, needing new skills, people with new skills to meet the demands of shop floor mobile devices and in-the-moment analytics and what do you need to know right now in responding proactively and intelligently versus the millennials coming in, maybe they're bringing that power, that intelligence, that sharpness, but what do you do with your loyal workforce that's been with you that may not be trainable in the new technologies? Frank Platt, this was one of your notes you sent me before the show. Why don't you start this and then we'll ask Adele and Matthew to join in. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, this challenge really is is more prevalent in some industries than other, but but basically the aging workforce has a lot of kept up knowledge in their heads that maybe hasn't moved on to a standard operating procedure or a work instruction that's fed to future workers. And this move that companies need to make to extract that intelligence and then make it more available to the new millennial workers is a big mm-hmm. challenge. Uh, fortunately, the, the new workers are very adept. I mean, they're all, they all grew up on uh, Playstations and Xboxes. They've got real good thumbs. <laughs> they're very, very comfortable with all new technologies. But these mobile technologies, 3D graphics and presentation to help move that intelligence from the aging workforce into the hands of the new workers, this is a big focus area for a ton of the people we work uh, closely with. Okay, Matthew, any uh, LNS research on the workforce issues in terms of managing the older workforce, the younger workforce, getting a team that's powerful and smart and sharp and gets it? What do you, th- what do you see? Yeah, we've published a, a lot of research. One of our uh, colleagues, Mark Davidson, has uh, published a number of reports on the on the aging workforce and how it's impacting manufacturing. Certainly, a uh, number one issue for a number of industries when we ask across uh, a whole suite of different challenges they might have. A- aging workforce comes up as number one, and I have Ooh. to agree with with Frank that. Um, Kind of the way to address it is through engaging the, the, the millennials and the new workforce. And th- there's some key trends to, to key into there. Um, I think most importantly is making sure that the applications that we have in the manufacturing are consumer grade. They have to be up to par with um, the ease of use, um, 3D visualization, uh, connectivity that uh, they're accustomed to in their, in their uh, normal everyday lives. Uh, and we're not there yet. Most companies uh, are not there. Um, so th- that's the big challenge, I think, is making our applications in the manufacturing uh, consumer ready. It's an idea that I, that, that I like quite a bit. Matthew, you said that this is more prevalent in some industries, and I think Frank alluded to that as well. Can you name some of those industries for us briefly? Sure. It's mainly the heavy industries. So um, think oil and gas, chemicals, uh, acid-intensive industries, um, you know, geographically 
dispersed, uh, where a lot of the activity happens um, away from away from urban centers. That's where we're seeing the the big move away from, uh, or the biggest challenges in the um, aging workforce. Okay, Adele Khan from Fujitsu America. Any comments on the workforce before we go to break? It's up to you. Yep, uh, certainly, Bonnie. Just just to add uh, one more thing about, I mean, I think both Frank and um, and Matthew talked about visual enterprise credit. How do we actually capture that's in the heads of, the, of these re, uh, retirees, if you will? How do we capture the data and actually uh, bring it back to this new uh, workforce? One of the ways, one of the many ways, obviously, is to transfer up the uh, knowledge through the, these uh, uh, technologies, what we call visual enterprise or visual software. We, where, uh, think about work instructions, correct? Uh, how do, uh, let's just say a, a, a operator have been, who have been working in a company for 25, 30 years, now retiring. How do we take the knowledge and, and give it to the uh, new worker? So one of the ways is to capture the work instructions in a more of a visual format, correct, instead of text instructions. So mm-hmm. as the new operators, the people are coming into the workforce, trying to be more productive, and if that person or individual obviously had come through training, no question about it, but, you know, it takes a lot of time to understand the com- complexity that's involved in, in certain uh, work that we do in oil and gas and, and utility section. So if you, if you have a video kind of a work instruction which you could play back, correct, mm-hmm. and stop and play back and understand how these things are done, that is the kind of a effort that we are looking into uh, from the technology perspective and handing it over to the customers. I think that probably plays very well in the situation. That's great. And it reminds me of the popularity, obviously, of interesting videos on YouTube, the proliferation of visual content. People soak that up. They want to see it. They want to see examples in a lively fashion and with clarity. Great information. Uh, Adele, one more point, and I'm just about a minute from break. You mentioned to me just-in-time manufacturing must be adopted swiftly. Could you just level set and describe what just-in-time manufacturing is so our listeners, if they don't know, will know? and then we can go to break. Go ahead, Adele. Well, absolutely. Uh, just-in-time manufacturing, again, it came from, uh, uh, came from uh, Japan, if you will, from, from the Toyota production system. It's essentially uh, removing waste from your process, correct? And the waste, mm-hmm. uh, the way you remove the waste, waste could be of many different kinds. Waste could be from people perspective, from process perspective. Waste could be from, uh, uh, you know, could be from the fact of, okay, I'm walking from here to there to pick up a tool. From that perspective, so as you are moving waste, as you're moving inventory, inventory is considered as a waste as well. So we're basically the whole point, Bonnie, is to keep as low inventory as possible and make the things that are actually needed by the customer at the right time. So that is why the just-in-time manufacturing concept comes into play. I don't see, uh, personally, don't see a whole lot of you know adoption of just-in-time manufacturing, even though we mm-hmm. live in a world where actually the products are really becoming more and more and demanded by the customers. And I would encourage uh, most of our listeners to go and read about it, learn about just-in-time manufacturing, embrace it, adopt it. And it's a great technology, great way to get the people and the process and, 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 and technology to work together to keep the inventory minimum, as minimal as possible, and make sure the products are flowing in a fairly seamless fashion. So that's essentially, the, the, you know, in a nutshell, what just-in-time manufacturing is. Thank you very much. You know what? You've all more than earned a break. We're going to come back in about a minute. We'll have less than 10 to finish up the show, but we're coming back with the crystal ball segment. 
That means I'll be asking Adele Kahn at Fujitsu America, Matthew Littlefield at LNS Research, and Frank Platt at SAP to look ahead in the crystal ball. I know you've got one manufactured in your closet or your attic or the boat shed or the trunk of the car or somewhere, guys. And I want you to look ahead five years to 2019 and tell me, what would we be talking about in terms of speed of manufacturing? How far ahead will it have sped if I can say it that way, in the next five years. What can we look forward to? We'll be right back after the break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to a live edition of Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The buzz of the biz is manufacturing. We'll be right back. Brad, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network business models have a short shelf life today's reality given shifting technologies real-time information and collaboration across time zones competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud the bottom line Technology cycles will continue to shorten, making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable. You need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy. BizBuzz with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. And we're in the home stretch here looking at the crystal ball. I'm going to ask my three panelists to look ahead five years. What will speed of manufacturing have achieved by the year 2019? If you can see ahead that clearly and that far, let's kick this off with Adele Khan, a principal at the SAP Center of Excellence at Fujitsu America. Adele Khan, go. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, this is an interesting question. Obviously, uh, I wish I could, you know, uh, predict my, my own life. <laughs> <laughs> so well, where I'm going to be five years from now. Oh, please. Uh, oh, so, please. We all do. Go ahead. Exactly. So from a technology perspective, Bonnie, since we uh, the stuff we talked about today between Frank, myself, and Matthew and yourself, I think we will be talking about uh, various uh, technologies uh, to begin with, which is cloud. I think we definitely will be talking about the implementation of cloud and adoption of cloud uh, services uh, across the world. We will be talking about big data analytics uh, today we talked about the the uh, you know the emergence of analytics. Hopefully, five years from now down the road, we will be talking about the implementation and therefore the next version or next you know a roadmap of implement you know big data analytics and how is that going to impact mm-hmm. our lives. Uh, we will be talking about a lot more automation, in my opinion. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Honda plant is is basically running you know doing the assemblies uh, based on robots even today. So I think that will probably catch up with other manufacturers in the world. We'll be talking about a lot, a lot of automations, a lot of collection of data, a lot of sensors, and, of course, we'll be talking about how social media, in my opinion, is going to play mm. a major role in the manufacturing world, major role. 
How? Tell me, social media, we really didn't cover that much other than my note in the opening of the show. Just quickly, Adele Khan, what do you see for social in manufacturing? I'm curious. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. There are a couple of ways you can use social media, media, Bonnie. One is the external, which is basically getting the customer feedback through uh, Twitter, through, through uh, Facebook, through uh, LinkedIn. And, and believe, it, believe me or not, uh, Procter & Gamble started this process about 14 years ago. In the year 2000, 15% of their products were came directly from the social media and, 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 the, and the buzz that were actually going around the customer base. Today, in 2012 or 2013, well, I should say 2013, up until last year, 50% of Procter & Gamble's products were innovated based as entirely on the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the innovative ideas they grabbed from the customers themselves. So that's one of the ways. The second way to use that would be internally. Uh, companies like uh, Baker Hughes have an excellent platform uh, that they created. Well, they used a vendor for, for the platform where they actually bring experts from around the world based on the projects. So a guy in the oil field way out in you know out of the middle of nowhere can actually go and tap into the tablet and figure out what question to ask and who to ask in the organization around the world so they can actually get the expert advice they needed at the point of performance. So these are the kinds of things that we will probably see in five years, uh, a lot of rather implemented, not talking about it, right? So we'll talk about the implementations of these kinds of technologies and processes. It's a very exciting time, very exciting for manufacturing. Thank you, Adele. Let's turn to Matthew Littlefield, co-founder, president, and principal analyst for LNS Research. And we have to do a shout-out, of course, to your colleague, Mike Roberts, who's been tweeting his fingers off here, capturing the words of wisdom along with our own Tom Flanagan. And we have a new tweeter, Natalie Tarutis, is tweeting for us as well. Thank you, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Matthew, you're up. Crystal ball, five years from today, where will manufacturing be then? Go. Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. You know, I think to, to look forward, I want to go back maybe first three to five years. And that okay. was really when this concept of the Internet of Things was just emerging. And some of the first real leaders, first movers uh, on manufacturing side were starting to embrace some of these technologies. And if you look like a, at a company like GE, which was one of the first to, to adopt some of these technologies in their manufacturing, they created a center of excellence uh, focused on mm-hmm. uh, Internet of Things, so cloud, mobility, big data, etc. And uh, went out and hired hundreds of uh, engineers in Silicon Valley, created this to deliver shared services to a number of their businesses, right? Healthcare, um, uh, automotive, uh, aerospace and defense, so all their different manufacturing businesses that they have. But that took an incredible amount of resources, both time, energy, money, people, um, to get up and running, right? Many, many years and, and over a billion dollars is reported. I think three to five years from now, the, the amount of effort to, to deploy some of these technologies will be dramatically reduced. A lot of what was homegrown three to five years ago and really on the cutting edge uh, will be productized. And uh, companies will be able to much more easily deploy um, apps and technologies that accomplish the same thing at just a small, small fraction of the cost that, that it took three to five years ago. Um, so I think um, the democratization of the Internet of Things is what will happen in manufacturing over the next three to five years uh, based on uh, productizing a lot of these now are, are still novel technologies. Thank you, Matthew. Great insights. And we'll round it out with Frank Platt. I can give you about a minute and a half. Frank, we're getting a little tight here. So what do you see ahead five years or you pick the time frame? Frank Platt, SAP, go. No worries, Bonnie. Um, you know, in reality, five years is a pretty short time frame. Uh, I know. We blink our eyes and five years moves through. But in reality, anything that's really hot right now, 
that hasn't really commercialized yet will become the norm. Mobility, a big one. You are going to see a lot more adoption of mobility. You're going to see this big data thing come to fruition. And machine-to-machine growth. So having machines talk to one another, that's something that companies have been doing for a while. They're introducing robotics. They're having, uh, you know, when a production lot's complete, the palletizer is, uh, is informed that stuff is coming. Those kinds of things are becoming the norm. But linking that to business data, this is where the, the, uh, the next horizon really is. And having business data drive how the shop floor operations behave right down to the machine level, this is an exciting area where there's going to be a lot of development in the next five years. Thank you very much. You did it, and that gives me a minute left to close the show. I appreciate that. Guess what's coming up? Tomorrow is Wednesday. That means it's no, it's not Belgium. It's Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific. Thursday in the morning, 7 a.m. Pacific, we'll be hosting Future of Business with Game Changers. Thursday afternoon, we're back with Startup Focus with Game Changers. As if that isn't enough, we start all over again next Monday with Financial Excellence with Game Changers, Monday at 10 a.m. And next Tuesday, we'll be right back here with the final edition of Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Thank you so much to Adele Khan at Fujitsu America, Matthew Littlefield at LNS Research, Frank Platt at SAP. Wonderful panel, great insights, good talkers. You played well. I appreciate that. And shout-outs to Susan Walker, sponsor of the series at SAP, Tom Flanagan, a.k.a. SAP Radio, Malcolm Kimberlin, and Mike Roberts at LNS Research. Thanks for joining the party. Brad and the Business Channel team, thanks for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's Mike call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out. And I've said it so many times, I can't believe I didn't remember it. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to BizBuzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.